You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney. And throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 243. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 15, Paragraphs 545 to 556. Chapter 15. Jesus the Savior, bound as a prisoner, is dragged to the house of Annas. What happened in connection therewith, and what the Most Blessed Mother suffered during that time. 545. Fit were it to speak of the suffering the affronts, and the death of our Savior Jesus in such vivid and efficacious words that they enter into the soul like a two-edged sword, piercing with deepest sorrow our inmost hearts. Hebrews 4.13 Not of an ordinary kind were the pains he suffered, and there is no sorrow like unto his sorrow. From his body was not like the bodies of the rest of men, nor did the Lord suffer for himself, nor for his own sins, but for us and for our sins. 1 Peter 2.21 Hence, the words and expressions by which we describe his torments and sorrows should not be the common or ordinary kind. But woe is me who cannot give sufficient force to my words and cannot find those my soul seeks in order to manifest this mystery. I will speak according to my capacity and as far as is given me. Although my powers constrain and limit the greatness of what I understand and my inadequate words cannot reach the secret concepts of the heart. Let, then, the vividness and force of the faith which we profess as children of the church supply what is defective in my words. If our words are but of the ordinary kind, let our compassion and our sorrow be extraordinary. Let our thoughts be of the loftiest, our comprehension most real, our consideration of the deepest, our thankfulness heartfelt, and our love most fervent. For all that we can do shall fall short of what the reality demands of what we owe as servants, as friends, and as children adopted through his most sacred passion and death. 546. Having been taken prisoner and firmly bound, the most meek lamb, Jesus, was dragged from the garden to the house of the high priest, first to the house of Annas, John 18.13. The turbulent band of soldiers and servants, having been advised by the traitorous disciple, that his master was a sorcerer and could easily escape their hands if they did not carefully bind and chain him securely before starting on their way, took all precautions inspired by such a mistrust. 
Mark 14.44 Lucifer and his compeers of darkness secretly irritated and provoked them to increase their impious and sacrilegious ill-treatment of the Lord beyond all bounds of humility and decency. As they were willing accomplices of Lucifer's malice, they omitted no rage against the person of their Creator within the limits set them by the Almighty. They bound him with a heavy iron chain with such ingenuity that it encircled as well the waist as the neck. The two ends of the chain, which remained free, were attached to large rings or handcuffs, with which they manacled the hands of the Lord, who created the heavens, the angels, and the whole universe. The hands thus secured and bound, they fastened not in front, but behind. This chain they had brought from the house of Annas, the high priest, where it had served to raise the portcullis of a dungeon. They had wrenched it from its place and provided it with padlock handcuffs, but they were not satisfied with this unheard-of way of securing a prisoner, for in their distrust they added two pieces of strong rope, the one that wound around the throat of Jesus and crossing at the breast, bound it in heavy knots all about the body, leaving two long ends free in front in order that the servants and soldiers might jerk him in different directions along the way. The second rope served to tie his arms, being bound likewise around his waist. The two ends of this rope were left hanging free to be used by two other executioners for jerking him from behind. 547. In this manner the Almighty and the Holy One permitted himself to be bound and made helpless, as if he were the most criminal of men and the weakest of the women born, for he had not taken upon himself all the iniquities and weaknesses of our sins. Isaiah 53.6 They bound him in the garden, adding to the chains and ropes, insulting blows and vilest language, for like venomous serpents they shot forth their sacrilegious poison in abuse and blasphemy against him, who is adored by angels and men, and who is magnified in heaven and on earth. They left the garden of olives in great tumult and uproar, guarding the Savior in their midst. Some of them dragged him along by the ropes in front of others, retarded his steps by the ropes hanging from the handcuffs behind. In this manner, with a violence unheard of, they sometimes forced him to run forward in haste, frequently causing him to fall at others. They jerked him backwards, and then again they pulled him from one side to the other, according to their diabolical whims. Many times they violently threw him to the ground, and as his hands were tied behind him, he fell upon it with his divine countenance and was severely wounded and lacerated. In his falls they pounced upon him, inflicting blows and kicks, trampling upon his body and upon his head and face. All these deviltries they accompanied with festive shouts and opprobrious insults, as was foretold by Jeremiah 3.30. 5.48 during all this time, Lucifer, while inciting those ministers of evil, watched all the actions and movements of our Savior. His patience he thus put to the test in order to find out whether Jesus was only a man. For this doubt and perplexity tormented his wicked pride above all others. As he was obliged to acknowledge the meekness, patience, and sweetness of Christ, his serene majesty, without change or disturbance, amid all the injuries and sufferings, the infernal dragon was enraged only so much the more, and at one time, like one crazed by fury. 
He attempted to seize the ropes in order that he and his fellow demons might pull at them more violently than his human foes, and thus perhaps overcome the meekness of the Savior. But he was withheld by the Most Holy Mary, who from her retreat by clear vision saw all that happened to her divine Son. When she noticed this attempt of Lucifer, she made use of her power as sovereign queen and commanded him to desist. All strength immediately left Lucifer, and he could not proceed in this presumptuous intent. It was not because that his malice should add to the sufferings and death of the Redeemer in such a manner. He was, however, given permission to excite all his fellow demons against the Lord, and these again were left a free hand to incite his mortal enemies among the Jews, since the latter had liberty of will to consent or not. Lucifer used this freedom to its full extent, and therefore said to the other evil spirits, What kind of a man is this, now born into the world, who by his patience and by his works so torments us and annihilates us? None ever maintained such equanimity and such long-suffering and tribulations since the time of Adam until now. Never have we found among mortals such humility and meekness. How can we rest when we see in the world such a rare and powerful example, drawing others after him? If this is the Messiah, he will certainly open heaven and close up the highway by which we have so far led men into our eternal torments. We shall be vanquished, and all our plans will be frustrated. Even if he is but a mere man, I cannot permit such an example for the rest of mankind. Haste, then, ministers of my exalted power. Let us persecute him through his human foes, who, obedient to my sway, have conceived of me some of our own furious envy. 549. The author of our salvation, hiding his power of annihilating his enemies in order that our redemption might be more abundant, submitted to all the consequences of the impious fury which Lucifer and his hellish squadron fomented in the Jews. They dragged him, bound and chained under continued ill-treatment, to the house of Annas, before whom they presented him as a malefactor worthy of death. It was the custom of the Jews to present thus bound those criminals who merited capital punishment, and they now made use of this custom in regard to Jesus, in order to imitate his sentence even before his trial. The sacrilegious priest Annas seated himself in proud and arrogant state on the platform or tribunal of a great hall. Immediately Lucifer placed himself at his side with a multitude of evil spirits. The servants and soldiers brought before him Jesus, bound and fettered, and said, At last we bring hither this wicked man, who by his sorceries and evil deeds has disturbed all Jerusalem and Judea. This time his magic art has not availed him to escape our hands and power. 5.50 Our Savior Jesus was attended by innumerable angels who confessed and adored him, full of admiration for the incomprehensible judgments of his wisdom. Romans 11.33 By which the Lord consented to be held as a sinner and a criminal. The iniquitous high priest pretended to be just and zealous for the honor of the Lord, whose life he was seeking. The most meek lamb was silent and opened not his mouth, as Isaiah prophesied, 53.7. Imperiously and haughtily the high priest asked him about his disciples, John 18.19, and what doctrine he was preaching and teaching. This question was put merely for the purpose of misinterpreting his answer. If Jesus should utter any words that afforded such a chance. But the master of holiness, who is the guide and the corrector of the most wise wisdom, 715, 
offered to the Eternal Father the humiliation of being presented as a criminal before the high priest and of being questioned by him as a prevaricator and author of a false doctrine. Our Redeemer, with a humble and cheerful countenance, answered the question as to his doctrines. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither all the Jews resort, and in secret I have spoken nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask those who have heard what I have spoken unto them. Behold, they know what I have said. As the doctrine of Christ our Lord came from his eternal Father, he spoke for it and defended its honor. He referred them to his hearers, both because those by whom he was now surrounded would not believe him and wished to distort all he should say, and because the truth and force of his teachings recommended and forced themselves upon the minds of his greatest enemies by their own excellence. 5.51. Concerning the apostles, he said nothing, because it was not necessary on this occasion, and because they were not reflecting much credit upon their master by their present conduct. Though his answer was so full of wisdom and so well suited to the question, yet one of the servants of the high priest rushed up and raised his hand, and audaciously struck the venerable and sacred face of Jesus, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? The Lord accepted this boundless injury, praying for the one who had inflicted it, and holding himself ready, if necessary, to turn and offer the other cheek for a second stroke, according to the doctrine he had himself inculcated, Matthew 5.39. But in order that these atrocious and daring offender might not shamelessly boast of his wickedness, the Lord replied with great tranquility and meekness, If I have spoken evil, give testimony of the evil. If well, why strikest thou me? O sight most astounding to the supernal spirits, since this is he at the mere sound of whose voice the foundations of the heavens tremble, and ought to tremble, and the whole firmament is shaken. This is the Lord of whom Job says, He is wise of heart and mighty in strength, who hath resisted him and hath peace, who hath removed mountains, and they whom he overthrew in his wrath knew it not. He who moveth the earth out of its place, who commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and shutteth up the stars as it were under a seal, who doth things great and incomprehensible, whose wrath no man can resist, and under whom they stoop, that bear up the world. Job 9.4 This is the one who for the love of man patiently suffers a servant to strike and wound him in the face by a buffet. 5.52. But the humble and appropriate reply of the Lord, the wickedness of the sacrilegious servant, stood reprimanded. Yet neither the shame of this reprimand nor the shameful negligence of the high priest, which permitted such a criminal unfairness in his very presence, moved either him or the other Jews to moderate their conduct toward the author of life. While this ill-treatment of the Lord was going on, St. Peter and the other disciple, who was none other than St. John, arrived at the house of Annas. St. John, as being well known there, readily obtained entrance, while St. Peter remained outside. Afterwards, the servant's maid, who was an acquaintance of St. John, allowed also him to enter and see what would happen to the Lord. John 18.16 The two disciples remained in the portico, adjoining the court hall of the priest, and St. Peter approached the fire, which the soldiers, on account of the coldness of the night, had built in the enclosure near the portico. The servant maid, on closer inspection, noticed the depressed bearing of St. Peter. Coming up to him, she recognized him as a disciple of Jesus and said, 
Art thou not perhaps one of this man's disciples? This question was asked by the maid with an air of contempt and reproach. Peter, in his great weakness and hesitancy, yielded to a sense of shame. Overcome also by fear, he answered, I am not his disciple. Having given this answer, he slipped away to avoid further conversation and left the premises. But he soon afterwards followed his master to the house of Caiaphas, where he denied him again at two different times, as I shall relate farther on. 5.53 The denial of Peter caused greater pain to the Lord than the buffet which he had received, for this sin was directly opposed and abhorrent to his immense charity, while pain and suffering were sweet and welcome to him, since he could thereby atone for our sins. After this first denial of Peter, Christ prayed for him to his eternal Father, and ordained that, through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, he should obtain pardon even after the third denial. The great lady witnessed all that passed from her oratory, as I have said, as she contained in her own breast the propitiatory and sacrifice of her Son and Lord in sacramental forms. She directed her petitions and loving aspirations to him, eliciting most heroic acts of compassion, thanksgiving, adoration, and worship. She bitterly wept over the denial of St. Peter and ceased not until she perceived that the Lord would not refuse him the necessary helps for effectually rising from his fall. The purest mother also felt all the wounds and torments of her son in the same portions of her virginal body as the Savior. When the Lord was bound with the chains and ropes, she felt on her wrists such pains. The blood oozed from her fingernails as if they had been really bound and crushed in the same manner. Also, the other wounds affected her body. As to these tortures were added the sorrows of her heart in seeing Christ our Lord suffer. She shed miraculous tears of blood. She felt also the buffet in the same way as if that sacrilegious hand had struck at the same time her son and herself. At this wicked affront and at the blasphemous insult offered to the Lord, she called out to her holy angels to join her in magnifying and adoring their Creator in compensation for the injuries offered him by sinners. And in many most sorrowful lamentations, she conferred with the angels concerning the cause of her affliction and mourning. Instruction which the great queen and lady gave me. 554. My daughter, to great deeds art thou called and invited on account of the divine enlightenment thou receivest concerning the mysteries of the sufferings of my most holy son and of myself for the human race, and on account of the knowledge which thou hast obtained concerning the small return made by heartless and ungrateful men for all our pains. Thou livest yet in mortal flesh. Thou art thyself subject to this ignorance and weakness, but by the force of truth Thou art now roused to great wonder and sorrow, compassion at the want of attention displayed by mortals, toward these great sacraments and at the losses sustained by them through their lukewarmness and negligence. What, then, are the thoughts of the angels and saints, and what are my thoughts in beholding this world and all the faithful in such a dangerous and dreadful state of carelessness, when they have the passion and death of my divine Son before their eyes? And when they have me for their mother and intercessor, and his most pure life and mine for an example, I tell thee truly, my dearest, only my intercession and the merits of his Son, which I offer to the Eternal Father, can delay the punishment and placate his wrath, can retard the destruction of the world and the severe chastisement of the children of the Church, who know his will and fail to fulfill it. John fifteen fifteen. But I am much incensed to find so few who condole with me and try to console my son in his sorrows, as David says, 
Psalm 68, 21. This hardness of heart will cause great confusion to them, and on the day of judgment, since they will see with irreparable sorrow not only that they were ungrateful but inhuman and cruel toward my divine Son, toward me and toward themselves. 555. Consider then thy duty, my dearest, and raise thyself above all earthly things and above thyself, for I am calling thee and choose thee to imitate and follow me into the solitude in which I am left by creatures, whom my Son and I have pursued with so many blessings and favors. Weigh in thy heart how much it cost my Lord to reconcile mankind to the Eternal Father and regain for them his friendship. Weep and afflict thyself that so many should live in such forgetfulness and that so many should labor with all their might at destroying and losing what was bought by the blood of God itself and all that I, from the first moment of my conception, have sought to procure and procuring for their salvation. Awaken in thy heart the deepest grief that in his holy church there should be many followers of the hypocritical and sacrilegious priests who, under cover of a false piety, still condemn Christ, that pride and sumptuousness with other grave vices should be raised to authority and exalted, while humility, truth, justice, and all virtues be so oppressed and debased, and avarice and vanity should prevail. Few know the poverty of Christ, and fewer embrace it. Holy faith is hindered and is not spread among the nations on account of the boundless ambition of the mighty of the earth. In many Catholics, it is inactive and dead, and whatever should be living is near to death and to eternal perdition. The counsels of the gospel are forgotten, its precepts trodden underfoot, charity almost extinct. My son and true God offers his cheeks in patience and meekness to be buffeted and wounded. Who pardons an insult for the sake of imitating him? Just the contrary is set up as law in this world, not only by the infidels, but by the very children of the faith and of light. 5.56 In recognizing these sins, I desire that thou imitate me in what I did during the Passion and during my whole life, namely, practice the virtues opposed to these vices. As a recompense for their blasphemies, I blessed God. For their oaths, I praised him. For their unbelief, I excited acts of faith, and so for all of the rest of the sins committed. This is what I desire thee to do while living in this world. Fly also the dangerous intercourse with the creatures, taught by the example of Peter. For thou art not stronger than he, the apostle of Christ. And if thou fall in the weakness, weep over thy fault, and immediately seek my intercession. Make up for my ordinary faults and weaknesses by the patience in adversities. Accept them with a joyous mien and without disturbance, no matter what they may be, whether they may be sickness or the molestations coming from creatures, or whether they arise from the opposition of the flesh to the spirit, or from the conflicts with visible and invisible enemies. In all these things canst thou suffer, and must thou bear up in faith, hope, and magnanimous sentiment. I remind thee that there is no exercise more profitable and useful for the soul than to suffer. For suffering gives light, undeceives, detaches the heart from the visible things, and raises it up to the Lord. He will come to meet those in the suffering, because he is with the afflicted, and sends to them his protection and help. Psalm forty fifteen. This concludes our reading today for day number 243. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 15. 
paragraphs 545 to 556. How heartbreaking it was at the very beginning of our reading today, as we heard Jesus being bound in chains, being handcuffed, all of these things, that they put the chains around his neck, that they jerked him from the left and to the right, that they made him fall to the ground, that he wounded himself, that he had cuts and abrasions and so many other wounds. Think about the wounded body of Jesus. Think about what he endured for us. Or as Our Lady said in our instruction today, weigh in thy heart how much it cost my Lord to reconcile mankind to the eternal Father and regain for them his friendship. Well, this is what he does. This is what he undergoes. And then we heard that Our Lady, she also felt these pains. It's almost as if it's not stigmata because the stigmata is the wounds of Christ, but that's what came to mind. That Mary shares in the suffering of Jesus as a saint shared in the stigmata of Christ crucified. And so she knows and understands the passion. She's undergoing it herself. She's not even alongside him. She's seeing these things from her little oratory. God is revealing them to her. I think it's important for us to consider how we wound Jesus. Every sin we commit wounds Jesus. Every sin is almost like we're pulling him to the ground. He's suffering again for us. When he died on the cross, he saw the sins of all mankind. He died for our redemption. During his passion, he knew how we would inflict pain upon him. And so now for us, it's our time to make a decision to stop inflicting pain, to choose Christ, to follow him, and to sin no more. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.